The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's six books in this series, and they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Had Dana Bush today come by. She's doing a trunk show, and uh, wow, she's a fantastic jeweler, just an artist in her own rights. And the most interesting thing you'll find about this person is she kind of fell, followed my route, and she's a clinical psychologist. For probably 15 years, she worked in um, the health field, has five degrees, yet somehow found her calling to art and decided to chuck it all and really you know, do what she really wanted to do from the beginning, really. And so it's an inspirational podcast. And for anybody who's out there who has a job, they go, oh, my God, I can't go one more day. Listen to this one. Maybe it'll make you go, okay, today's the day. Dana Bush. I've got Dana Bush here. I've known Dana for a while. I knew you before you worked as a jeweler with me, at least. That's right. And so tell me, Dana, where'd you grow up? Where'd I grow up? In Denver. So you're a Denverite the whole shebang, right? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Right. I've lived many places and done many things. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to uh-huh. find out about okay. that. Okay, well, all right. Some of them I might know about. Yeah. So Dana, is, is she's a very complex person. My understanding is she has five degrees, but we'll see if that's true or not. It is true. And she does beautiful jewelry. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can actually see that's mm-hmm. her stuff. From the if new you're collection. not watching it on YouTube and you're just envisioning it, eh, it's a kind of a slab of rock with a little gold <laughs> on it, something like that. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> just trust me. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> go to the website. Shop. It's almost Christmas time. There you go. Well, we're more interested in finding out other things. Okay. Like, so you grew up in Denver. You did, right? Yep. You were born in, and raised? Born and raised in Denver. Uh, only child to parents that met and married later in life. Uh, we're both business owners, very independent, and so I uh, had a pretty unique and fun childhood and grew up actually really doing a lot of art as well. I had a lot of exposure to it when I was small mm-hmm. between my you know, my mother, who always was very creative and had a background. And what just, was her background? What was your mom? Uh, yeah, f- uh, fine arts from Indiana University, and oh, yeah. then... Uh, did graphic design out of college and then uh, quit her job and moved to Breckenridge to be a ski bum before it was a ski area Mm -hmm. and before Eisenhower Tunnel, before Vail, and had a store where she represented all handmade Colorado artisans. This was in the late 50s, early 60s. she wasn't married at this time? She was doing it on her own? She was doing it on her own. She sent her engagement ring back in the mail. and whom? To To somebody else, not beside your father. Exactly. My dad had joined a ski club up there and he finally had gotten his own apartment. He had started his own business uh, in the floral industry and was finally able to move out of his service building and came into the store. And he had also cut off an engagement when he moved to Colorado. Mm. And within six months, they were married. Mm. So yeah. And then she really went down and was a big part of continuing to help him grow his business. But you know, she was involved in starting the Winter Carnival in Breckenridge mm-hmm. and bringing like a whole, you know, uh, house tour thing up there. So, uh, you know, just a very kind of, I grew up with parents that were very dynamic, very independent, did their own thing. Uh, and, you know, by the time they got together, they really knew who they were and had done some things and had been engaged and... So they were 30 and 38 when they met, had me a year later. So okay, so they weren't that old then. No, he was, but well, relative to my friends growing uh, up. Yeah, I yeah. guess at that time frame, that's exactly. true. Exactly, yeah, exactly. That, that yeah, that was less usual, for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so when did your mom just, because I think it kind of 
relates to how you do everything, how you've developed. Yes. When did she quit doing making art so much and really focus on your dad's business of he was he he made uh, he grew flowers, right? Yes, exactly. I don't know what kind I'm, of flowers, but what kind of flowers? Uh, he, well, he started in carnations because Colorado was one of the major hubs in the United States for carnation production. And so he joined a co-op uh, growers organization. And uh, But when South Americans were now starting to ship cut flowers in the United States, mm-hmm. it can undersell the American growers. Pretty much if you stayed in cut flowers, you were out of business. Yeah, and so first. then he transitioned into... Uh, other crops, and then uh, for the last several years, he had his business really, especially geraniums, in which he was a uh, hand selected grower for uh, a group out of Pennsylvania. And you know, it was a very kind of particular process in who they selected. And so that was that was probably the the big the big crop. I mean, other things, poinsettias, bedding mm-hmm. plants, but. We were the number one shipper with United Airlines during our peak se- season, and it was mostly um, selling cuttings that then retail, you know, greenhouses would produce into a full stock plant. So, and when when, when did the South America really start cutting into all that? Oh gosh, remember? I was. I'm trying. To, we got out of carnations by the time I was probably eight or nine it was fairly it was fairly so, early on yeah. and you know and he's early mid 70s yeah so um you know it was just you know it's one of those things because they can also grow they didn't need a greenhouse they didn't right. need to heat stuff they Did were he growing see the, the handwriting on the wall because yeah yeah i think a lot of that really kept going and then the, yeah by the early 90s is when they wiped out all the american exactly you know yeah growers isn't that wouldn't that be true i, I would oh absolutely yeah. and i would say that my dad grew up in a family that I, and unfortunately I never got to know those grandparents because they both passed before I was two, but a, a, a family that really understood business and understood real estate and the market and uh, were very um, methodical and planners in their process. And I think my dad really, you know, also got that from his family. So and was good business. Yeah. Case. And someone who was just really you know, willing to do the work he needed to do, uh, but also really appreciated the people who he brought on board was, you know, Did they share that kind of business acumen with you while you were growing up? So you had a sense of it? Like, did you work in the flower, you know, industry? Well, I went out and when we even had carnations, you would have to go and do what's called like debudding. So, you know, you'd have the main stock, but then you'd have all the little, you know, you to clean it off. And so, so yeah, so I would go out and do those kinds of things. And I, I would say I definitely got the business acumen. I mean, uh, I, you know, my parents always, you know, helped me to understand kind of what they did and, and you know, what I had. And my, my dad's family had a very interesting, diverse background considering, you know, he was born in 28. So, mm-hmm. but he had aunts and uncles that had, you know, whether it was advanced science or medicine degrees, and they were in the stock market, and they had real estate, and uh, they'd come from Germany. So that there was just a lot of, um, but, you know, but very hardworking. Like, I guess my grandfather had one nice suit, and everything else was... Yeah, he was in the Depression. Yeah, work clothes. And, you know, as soon as my dad and his siblings were big enough, you were in the greenhouse, because they also initially started in produce, and eventually went into carnations as well in Minnesota. But... Uh, you know, it was one of those where you you come home and you work and you you eat yep. what your mom put on the table and you you know and that's and that's it. So uh, so yeah. So and in terms of just even understanding, uh, you know, the stock market and those things. You know, my I had stock from my grandfather the day I was born, oh, and, wow. and just that kind of mentality of this is something you save and this is something you you know. Only stocks mine knew about were the stockyards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they ever bought a stock in their life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the research people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're growing up as uh-huh. a kid, uh-huh. were you interested in art? Did you know at that moment? Did you think, oh, I sh- might be an artist? Oh or yeah, did that come abs- on later on. No, no. From the time, I mean, I even remember before I was in kindergarten that the house that I my parents first had when I was in preschool. Uh, I even remember there was some, like, I think through PBS, it was like a a contest where you could submit your kids' stuff. And I remember my mom, 
like getting things pulled together. And she always did, you know, art with me. Mm-hmm. And then I was at a... Did you win the PBS thing? Did you enter? It sounds terrible. I should know if I, if, if I did, but... Um, I, I don't know. You entered that. But yeah, you yeah. Okay. But, but something that, uh, you know, kind of was also a combination of that was I, I was at a small private school starting in kindergarten that went through ninth grade. And, you know, my graduating class in ninth grade was 48 of us, so very small. But uh, I had art three or four days a week and, you know, drama and music art, yeah. and, and, and great things like stained glass Raku pottery, you know, lots of unusual things. Does that and school still exist in the room? It does. What's that? You should give a shout out to yeah, that. It sounds like it's, it's important. Yeah, Grayland Country Day School. And so when you got through with Grayland, mm-hmm. then you went into public school or no? I did. So uh, I went to uh, the DPS, uh, Denver Public Schools, and at the time, busing was still going on. And so, and about half of my graduating class from Grayland went to East Emanuel and it was a great experience uh, because as much as Grayland was phenomenal in a lot of ways you're in a very undiverse group of kids and it was nice to be uh, you know because I also grew up in the family that you know wasn't going to buy the fancy car or buy me the polo shirt or belong to the country club and you know and you're, you're going to school with a lot of kids like that so so that was um, so that was a really, you know, nice nice change and not tough, not a not a hard to go through that. No, no, it was actually um, it was it was good and uh, really and I think too at the time the two uh, I was able to take classes at two different high schools because they at that time shared kind of an academic kind of understanding. So I had great teachers at both schools and you know I played sports and. The art, you know, the art wasn't as great there. I don't remember taking so many art classes when I was in high school. Um, but it, actually, to go back to one of your questions about art earlier, uh, when um, my parents had were going to put an addition on a house and the architect at the time who was designing it was actually responsible for building a new wing of Children's Hospital and had seen my drawings. So I used to do these really much like my jewelry, these very detailed black and white um, rapidograph, which is really fine ink pen drawings, and then go back in and, you know, color in all these patterns. And he loved the drawings, and so he bought, and this was when I was in third grade, he bought 17 of them for the Wing of Children's Hospital. And what was crazy, though, is he then disappeared off the planet. Like, all of a sudden, one day, we never heard from him. He didn't, I mean, I got paid for the drawings, but he never finished. We had to find a different architect mm. to finish. How much did he pay for the drawings? Do you remember? <sighs> I don't. You I don't. don't all these important things, I know. That's an important one. I know, and I don't Your know what. first it, sale. I know, and I don't know what happened to the drawings either. So, but. Um, it drove him insane, and he. That was it. He went off the deep end. And. And your first. Uh, ex- and your first patient, because we're going to get there, because exactly. she is a psychologist as well. That's right. So we're going to find out about this. There we go. We are. Okay. There we go. I'm backing up. Backing up. Okay. So high school. school. Okay. And uh, so no problems in high school. You were, you just you didn't have any. Oh, there's some problems. (laughs) Yeah. If you can't see her face, I'll describe it. A very pained look came up. No. 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 Um. Actually, for me, probably one of the the big things that shaped me in high school was um medical stuff. So I had, uh, I developed scoliosis. Mm. Uh, we detected my, my pediatrician had missed it. I was going in for the last checkup on a third degree burn and skin graft on my thigh and a very astute nurse pulled my parents aside and I had a striped shirt on. And because even though my curve was very balanced, one shoulder was a little yeah. bit higher. And she said, the stripes on your daughter's shirt are. So we went and had it checked. And sure enough, I was out of the normal range, not in the range yet where they were doing bracing, uh, but was pretty close this to that. Is 14, 15? Uh, younger than that. Oh, um, I think more like 12 or 13 okay. because mine was a real slow, steady progression. So yeah. by the time I got to my sophomore year in high school, both my curves were high 30s, low 40s. I was still had a number of years to grow. And my doctor at that time said, you know, based on what we know about scoliosis, there's a good chance it's going to keep going 
we recommend having surgery. So between my sophomore and junior in high school, I had um, nearly a complete spinal fusion. So all mm. all but my L5, so my all my lumbar and thoracic. All of them? All of them. Whoa. And two and a half pounds of steel in my back. So, uh, yes. So anyway, it's... That seems extreme. Yeah. Wow. Well, the curve was really elongated. And yeah. so they really had to, you know isolate and really address all, you know, and I, I had a phenomenal doctor, a uh, phenomenal group, and it was the right decision. Did they fuse them at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yep. So they, after they attached the rod and straighten the spine, yes. they then take, they went down low enough with the incision to then take bone chips off my hip. Mm-hmm. And then they coated the whole thing. And yep. so, uh, yeah. So, you know, and that was sophomore, junior year mm-hmm. between like the, the two, the summer. Of yep, exactly. Oh, that was a fun summer. It was. Oh, my God. No, no pool for you. No, no. But, and you know, I would have. How long were you in the hospital for that? Actually, I'd had the shortest recovery to date at Children's Hospital. So I was walking two days after and out like seven days after. Oh, yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, it was it was it was short. But, you know, I was super active. I was a kid that played lacrosse and field hockey and soccer and I swam, and so I was in good shape, and I went in in that kind of, you know, and I had a great doctor, so uh, I was really lucky in those respects. And, um, you know, the uh, Children's Hospital at the time was really close to where I lived in the high school, and, you know, and all these Mm -hmm. kids would come over, and they'd, you know, they'd kind of terrorize the, the floor because they'd be like, running around and they'd be, you know, bringing like, you know, stealing things off the nurse's station. And, and I remember when I was, when I come out of recovery, uh, a couple of them had shown up with, and I can't remember what the restaurant was, but someplace where we loved like all the, all the junky fast food. And they brought this and my, my parents thought it was sweet, but they're like, you know, she's an anesthesia and she, you know, she can't have MPO, this. And, yeah. Yeah. But, but mouth. Yeah. So. Yeah. So your junior year. Mm-hmm. Did that change your direction to go, maybe I should look at medicine versus art? You know, I would say I I really didn't kind of make that step until really after my first undergraduate degree. Yeah. <laughs> which was which was Technically, it was graphic design because I felt that fine art wasn't realistic. Although if I had followed my heart within the art realm, I would have been a printmaking major. I loved printmaking. Again, the meticulousness of it and the process of it. And I had a phenomenal printmaking teacher at at, uh, DU, uh, which um, was where I ended up. Uh, I went out to San Diego my first year of undergrad. and I. you did. And I <laughs> get away I, from your parents. There you go. And you know, I wanted to go to the beach. And yeah. then I was like, Oh my God, I'm in a school that's just as snobby as the private one I went to for years. And I couldn't, I couldn't so you, deal. And so I came back and I came and I ended up because I was home so much. And I had a best friend from high school went to DU, and I'm like, I like this. So I'm gonna. So you, know. you stayed at home and go and went to college, or did uh, you, did you? I, I, no, I got went to the dorms, and then I my second year. I moved into my sorority house for a month and that wasn't going to work for me as the independent, mm-hmm. you know, only child. I was like, and you now the, had sisters that you really didn't need. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of these things like I had a great roommate, but it's like, it was all this group activity yeah. stuff. And, and, you know, then the next year uh-huh. it's like, I was, I got picked to be a rush counselor and there were some girls at a joint in my house and they're like, well, no, you can't do that. And blah, blah, blah. And then someone stole a necklace that my grandmother had made for me. And I just, I turned my pin in and I said, that's it. Yeah, I'm done. That's it. Yeah. And, and do you use small too? You didn't, didn't matter if you were in one or not. So, yeah. Uh, so, um, so I did art there and because I thought graphics was the more realistic thing to do. Was that pushed by your parents or that just came mm, from you? From me. Yeah. I have been very fortunate that my parents and I, and I put this within the realm of, you know, I was raised to be, you know, very responsible. And there are a lot of things that, you know, would not fly, you know, however, they always were there to, uh, you know, encourage my interests and to, you know, to support kind of different directions, never said you can only study this or you can only do that or, 
you know, um, and in all areas of my life, you know, in personal and professional and academic. And so it was more me saying, oh, yeah. what am I going to do with a printmaking degree? Uh, but at the time when I was finishing the graphic design degree was when they were just starting to introduce computers. And so then I was like, well, if I'm now going to do this, I need to go learn computers. And so then I went to uh, almost like a technical trade school, and that was it. I was like... So you're like 21, you get your first degree, mm-hmm. and then you go, okay, I'm going to go learn about computers? Yeah, the technical stuff. So I got a um, a graphic design certificate, and I it's was more of a, a tech school, um, but they had a, a graphics program that was really good that I had known a handful of DU students who were ahead of me in the graphic design program who had studied there, and, and that was that was it for me. I'm like... Because the, the projects that I would want to do were the be the projects that once you've been a graphic designer for mm-hmm. like thirty years and someone's going to give you a budget to do something fun and colorful. So I was like, I don't know. Was this Fortran and that kind of stuff, or was this beyond that? And you were actually using personal computers. Yeah, per, it was. Yeah, yeah so yeah, the personal computers. And so this was in ninety three. Okay. So then I was like, okay, this isn't for me. And my dad was. Um, he was uh, a Kiwanis club member, and someone came and spoke at one of his meetings about the field of art therapy from um, a drug and alcohol government-funded treatment program in Colorado. And had I not done art uh, first go around as an undergrad, I would have pursued psychology, you know, because it's, you know, I, I like people, I'm interested, you know, it, to me it's a very creative process as well. So I started looking into the field of art therapy, and then I started, you know, I wanted to get some counseling experience, so I started doing, uh, even though I didn't have the training to do it, Arapaho House was very happy to say, oh, yeah, come on and, and do this. So I started doing clinical work in, like, detox centers and student-based clinics. and All in Denver, right? All in Denver. Yeah. And then I knew there were certain psych classes I didn't have yet that I would need for applying for graduate art therapy programs. So I started doing that down at CU Denver, and then I one day thought, mm, you know, I have this whole degree from DU of, you know, all my general ed classes. And there were maybe three additional psych classes I needed to get my BA in psych. So I thought, well, that's, yeah, that's dumb hey, to not do that. I don't so, have to go to work if I keep getting degrees. <laughs> there it is. So, uh, yeah, so I did that, uh, applied to art therapy programs. Went out to Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, the Eastern Virginia Medical School had a program, and I felt, out of all the programs I applied to, that this would be the most clinically oriented. Because, uh, again, even to this day, art therapy is still kind of... Nebulous. Yes. And uh, and certainly back then, uh, you know, the people that were really established in the field all had the mainstream degree that allowed them to be licensed and get jobs and... So a year into that program, that's when I had a wake-up call around that, too. And I thought, well, I'm going to come out. And because I don't have a traditional master's or doctorate degree, I'm not going to be able to do anything with this. i got to go back to printmaking. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so I circumvented and just did a year there, came back to Denver to, um, to really pursue uh, applying for doctorate programs. And by that time I was now in psychology in psychology yeah. and I was licensed as a drug and alcohol counselor. I thought, Oh, I need research. Oh, I'm going to hate research. Went down to CU Denver to talk to a professor of mine. Do you know anyone who I can do research with? And she said, Oh, there's another professor here. You'd be a good fit with your drug and alcohol background because he's getting ready to start, um, a, very hands-on clinically based study at the Denver Veterans Hospital working with veterans who are trying to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And so I got involved with that and I really ended up loving the creative process of research. And health was such a fit for me too between my own medical things I had as a child, the fact that uh, you know I was someone who really you know worked out and took care of myself and I feel that th- that, that speaks also volumes about how you manage your mental health and your social environment and your priorities. And so that's what really also then shaped my specific area of, of going uh, into health psychology and pursuing that, you know, that direction. So, And yes. so you 
got your you started working on your PhD and that was at, in Denver. Yes, at at DU. And so that's what a three year program. Four year uh, program. Well, Unless a guy or two gets in the way. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know what? Twenty six when you started. Yes, 20, some, yes, yes, right somewhere now. around there. And you know, I I came in with some hours, but really from the time you start and you will appreciate this from medicine. There's, you know, there's so many different steps. Yep. Like I tell people, it's like when you go on a vacation and the hotel gives you a map and you get out there and, and the map is missing like 10 or 15 streets between the one that's on the map. It's like, no, 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 there's all of these. So, you know, if you count like from the time you start graduate school till you're licensed in the field of psychology, it's anywhere from seven to 12 years for all the different hoops. So mm-hmm. I was... Wow. Um, so printmaking I, looked like it was a better choice. There you go. Really yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so then a year into my doctorate program, which was a full-time day program, I found out that, for, and DU no longer has this, but they have um, another university within the college that's geared towards adults so that are working and, you know, and can't take classes during the day. And so it's accelerated evening classes. And at, a, at that time, they were offering a master's in public health that was, MPH. that had a whole very health education and all the professors were, you know, they loved teaching. So these were people that were very involved with the university and very knowledgeable, but mm-hmm. wanted to be involved in, in yeah. an academic setting. So, and because my clinical program was, you know, more hands-on and not as much research. And now I had found this love of research and also knew I was going in the direction of really being in medical centers. I took on that public health program a year into my doctorate program. And so... So and you're it, doing an MPH and the yeah. PhD at the yeah. same time. Yeah, yeah And, you know, fun. doing, yeah. you know... Now, are you making art? That's the key. I want to... Are you doing anything at that time when you're doing that creatively like that? Or are you just... <sighs> Focused like a laser on the medicine. Really focused mostly, although, like I said, the, I would consider the, you know, the research that I was involved with and my interest, uh, I think also just in that collaborative nature. I mean, if you look at it from a, um, a very abstract perspective, you know, when you're working in an academic setting, I know you understand this well, is, you know, being in a team and kind of melding with the team, which I kind of look at as a creative process too. Like I bring a certain skill set to the table in, you know, whether it's a research study or it's a certain patient. And um, so not, you know, not necessarily doing um, a ton of my art at that time. I would say where that came back into play was a little bit beyond... um, it really probably started when I was in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh was... When did we get to Pittsburgh? I know. We, we're we're jumping. Jumped. We're jumping. When did you jump? When we, did you we jump? Jumped. You were at DU I know. I know. I know. I know. So, so when did you zip over to Pittsburgh? Well, And then there was a little stop off between that, which was West Virginia. Yeah. Who, who was he that so, took you to West oh Virginia? Oh, no. My... my um, <laughs> why, 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 why West Virginia? Why did you go to West Virginia? Uh so when I was um, when I was finished with the academic requirements uh, of my clinical program, and also during that time, you're doing you're actively working in the field at a practicum in the student clinic and all of that. But there are certain academics that need to be out of the way, mm-hmm. and you have to have at least kind of proposed a dissertation project. I actually had already written an NIH grant when I was in graduate school that sufficed as that. So that was already kind of done and taken care of. And I was now um, getting ready to apply, which is comparable for med students, their residency. So this was uh, for psychologists, it's a year long clinical position. And I knew I wanted to go to medical center. I knew that I wanted it to have heavy health psychology. So um, working with a lot of chronic disease conditions and that interface of, you know, is this a is this a medical issue? Is it a mental health issue? Is it a medical issue that looks like it's a mental health issue mm-hmm. uh, and lifestyle and wellness? And I was willing to go anywhere because I really wanted the best training and uh, 
you know, applied several places and ended up getting matched to West Virginia. Where in West Virginia? Uh, Charleston, this? the capital. Okay. That's, and that's nice. it's it was, yeah, it was beautiful. And it was the best clinical experience of my life. I couldn't have had nicer people. Uh, my profession was incredibly respected and integrated into the system. And you did that for how long? A year? So that was a year. I uh, was actually offered faculty position in family medicine. And I, as much as West Virginia was beautiful and I love the people, and my salary before taxes that year was 17000 mm. And I could live on that in West Virginia. Uh, I thought this is... For me, on a personal and social level, this is not, um, I need something bigger. And at that point, because I had finished all my other requirements, I had was able to graduate from my doctorate degree. However, most, uh, all states then, and it varies from state to state, require anywhere from two to 5,000 clinical hours after licensure and exams. And so my my natural next step was to apply for postdoctoral fellowships. So you're now Dr. Bush, right? Yes. And so you're going to go to postdocs. Postdocs, and yes. And that's Pennsylvania? And I chose the Pittsburgh position. Uh, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, it's a very, you know, a very established u- university. Where was this? Which university of Pittsburgh Medical Center, uh-huh. UPMC. And I was specifically uh, a fellow within the cancer center. And they had just opened up. I mean, they have several facilities that do lots of cancer work. Uh, but their main uh, cancer center, they just opened up this brand new, gorgeous, like, building, of which my crazy boss didn't move us into. <laughs> um, so I show up in Pittsburgh. And this, so now you're going to be dealing more with cancer? Patients? Yes, exactly. Really specific. Um, West Virginia had a, had a cancer center as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I was mostly doing... Uh, heart disease, which made a lot of sense in West Virginia. They had a great program there. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I get up there, and I think I'm going to make my career there because the postdocs for two years, and I'm told I've had a job, and and it just, you know, it's one of the best uh, health psychology programs in the country and the number one psychiatry program, and, you know, I'm part of the cancer for, center, on and on. Yeah. illness. Yeah. So. <laughs> so four hours into my first day, I'm like crying. No one's saying hello to me. I, re- I already realize I'm working for a crazy man. Uh, and my boss, who happens to be one of the three deputy directors of the cancer center, doesn't even have a clinical degree. He's a social psychologist. So he's, you know, and he's this, he looks like Einstein. And he's, you know, he shows up in his, his jeans and his, his clock is like a Harley Davidson clock. And every hour is a different motorcycle that, you know, roars like that. You know, he's just... You know, and he's he's one of those guys that all the you know he's mostly hiring attractive women, and you know the woman who oversees his grants has a high school degree, and at uh-huh. one point she's suing him for sexual harassment, and she's throwing things at him and telling him to get on a floor and beg like a dog, and oh, his, this is interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and his set you know sec- how long did you last in that Me Too area? Exactly. So, like I said, four hours into my first day, I like I went home and I was crying and I and I just kind of I pulled it together and I said okay Dana you need this year for your final hoop you've signed a year lease you've moved up here this looks great on your resume and I just need to I need to suck it up and um and it was I so I went from the best clinical year of my life with wonderful people to like the worst experience of my clinical profession. And would you do that again, the same route, or would you say, now screw it, I'm out of here? No, you know, well, I had turned down a fellowship between the Connecticut VA and Yale. And I actually had known those two, got to know those two gentlemen at a conference I went to. And, you know, of course, my hindsight was, oh, I should have taken that position. Yeah. But, you know, things happen the way they, they're supposed to happen. But, you know, in terms of the, kind of the connection with the art there too. Uh, so I, as a lover of art as well, collect glass. And down a couple miles down the street from my house, they had just opened up uh, this very advanced glass blowing hot shop. In fact, you know, supposedly at the time, the, the most advanced one in the country, and they got all these great, you know, b- mm. people to come. And so I I, you know, took this intro to glass blowing and I have my, I still have my little kind of kindergarten looking piece and, 
at that time, I also started getting a little interested in beads and gemstones and you think it's because you're so miserable with where you were that you oh, needed the outlet of oh yeah to oh get that back to your grounding oh that for sure was was some of it and you know pittsburgh i mean had my job worked out but you know pittsburgh was i, I really love pittsburgh there's so much rich history and the the people who beautiful city it is gorgeous and the people who founded it and um a lot of you know a lot of art was starting to happen and, uh, you know, there was um, a contemporary uh, museum in downtown that I love to go to. And, you know, Andy Warhol was from there and mm-hmm. his museum. And there was a lot of areas where they were starting to develop a lot of, you know, art districts. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a really miserable year. And, and, you know, art for me, like working out, is a meditative process. When I'm doing it, I'm in the moment and whatever else is going on is kind of to the wayside. And halfway through my year in Pittsburgh too, I was concerned about my, my dad who at the time was around 75, 76, where having been in medical centers long enough that some of the symptoms I saw going on, it was like, okay, is this old age? Is it, you know, is it some depression? Is it, you know, but also is it dementia? And, you know, I, I, because of my background, knew that there was some testing that most people don't really know about. So we did some very extensive testing and yes, in fact, really just, you know, determined that this was not just old age and those kinds of things that he right. was, you know, he was on that track. Um, we actually thought it was a, a, a more obscure uh, form of dementia, but it ended up turning out to be classic Alzheimer's when we did the, mm. you know, the autopsy That's, on the brain. And so he was 75. Yeah. You're 31-ish, 30-ish? Yeah. So he, let's see, I was 39 and he was still, I was 39. He was 39 when I was born. Yeah. So, so, you know, yeah, just um, a little, you know, a little bit past that. Yeah. And uh, so this is kind of a turning point for a lot yeah. of people, especially they hit that 30, 31. Yeah. Got a bad job, bad boss. You've been disenchanted a little bit with what you're doing, yeah. But you're going blowing glass on the side, looking at art, yes. And did you did that click and go? Maybe I should do something else yet, or you still have further to go? No, I, st- your, I still have fu- still have of. further to go, and it's it's interesting because I've had this conversation with a few people this this week, um, uh, and it's you know it's not just specific to someone like myself, and you know I don't know Mark if you'll relate to this story or not, but. And we were talking a bit about this last night at dinner that, you know, we live in a, a culture, especially in America, where, you know, whether we want to like accept it or not, there are certain careers or certain professions or certain things that people do that our society in general, you know, deems more valuable or more impressive or right. and and from the time you're young in our culture too, it very much who you are is about what you do. And how you see yourself. Exactly. Too, and so, you know, here, and I think this was part of probably this, what you what you just asked me, did I, and it's like, yeah. okay, I now have. You weren't ready to, yeah. No, yeah. I wasn't ready to, yeah. And I think too, it's kind of like, okay, I've got, all you know. All this and work how, I did. Yep. All these degrees. Moving around. This is who I am. This is yep. what I do. I'm good at it, but mm-hmm. I'm not quite happy right at yeah. the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you get kudos for it. You're valued for sure. it. And so, um about a month into my position in Pittsburgh, I was still in touch with who was my dream mentor in um, all of graduate school, who was actually from my public health program. And uh, the year I moved to West Virginia, Don had uprooted his family to Australia. And so when things weren't going well in Pittsburgh, I thought, well, I've always said if I could ever work for anyone, it would be Don. And... I'm like emailing Don. Don, this is this is not good. I'm miserable. And I knew once I was done with Pittsburgh, all I you know I needed a year there, and then I just needed to sit for my licensing exams in Colorado. And then I was done, done. And I thought, okay. So Don, who is a very brilliant, tenacious individual. And his last name is. Iverson, Don Iverson, Iverson, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us. 
uh, at a young age from, you know, 69 from cancer and of all things, because, you know, that was his area. I mean, he finished he's Canadian, finished his triple doctorate degree from Oregon at age 19. Mm-hmm. He was the assistant to Everett Koop when Everett Koop was a surgeon yeah. general. He opened up a division in National Institutes of Health. I mean, it goes on and on. And he went over there to promise his family he'd slow his life down, which meant he was taking a dean's position at a university outside of Sydney in a city called Wollongong and still, you know, traveling and sitting on U.S., Australian, Canadian cancer boards and the World Health Organization, yeah, yada, yada. Yeah, no. So I say to Don, you know, there's, you know, I'm, you know, not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a pet. I'm going to be licensed soon. What can you what can you do? And as much as it's a very difficult country to get a working visa, he was able to, you know, finagle a couple different opportunities. And uh, one, the one that I selected was to be on faculty at the university he was at because he was dean over health and behavioral sciences. And then uh, my main job, though, is we had a major medical center and we were the major hospital till you got to Sydney. So we also had a cancer center that served about 10,000 patients a year. And they didn't have any psychosocial services mm. and recognized that they needed that and wanted to to create that. So I, I fly over, I meet the doctors, they're lovely. Of course, I think Don is fantastic. Uh, you know, Wollongong, you know, is, is on the ocean. It's proximal to Sydney. And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. you know, this is, this is it. <laughs> this, this, is, this is it. This is it. And so, and of course, having you know, always been in a medical center for years in the States. Yeah, I knew I was going into a socialized system, so I knew it would be different. And there were certain things that I just didn't think I need to ask. Like, I didn't think I needed to ask if my profession was part of the healthcare system. I'm being brought down there to be a director and develop a division within a regional cancer center. Well, I get down there. So did you finish up Pittsburgh? I finished up Pittsburgh. So I finished up a year. I slugged it out. And I came back to Colorado um, to sit for my licensing exams. And, uh, you know, four days before I was supposed to move to Australia, my visa came through. Because, you know, there too, it's like they want a chest x-ray to make sure you don't have TB. And they want, sure. you know, this and that and all these things and hoops. And I, you know, got the results from my licensing exams. I passed those. And yeah, so I get over there. And of course, Don is now in the process of starting a medical school with another university in another state because, you know, exactly. He yeah, can't. He can't stop. He's no, moved no, no. on. He's just no, yeah. doing. Yeah. So I get there and I get moved into a place because I lived with him and his family the first like six weeks and also got to see the stress side of Don that I never saw with as much as, because he's really the one who helped me write the grant and all these different things. So that was kind of a little bit of an eye-opener for me. And then, like I said, I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to develop a program, be a director in the medical center, it serves 10,000 patients a year, where my profession isn't part of it. And so the doctors have never worked with a psychologist. There's no referral mechanism. Oh, and there's no money either. And we're getting community donations to buy file cabinets. And <laughs> our hospital doesn't even have its own MRI machine. And I have 16 hours a week and one social worker. And and then I go, I'm like, okay, this is this could be a, a problem. And then I find out how training is of psychologists over there, which... Um, I just I can't even like get into that either. So don't, they don't send them out into the outback and oh, with a big knife and then they uh, have to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, sorry to all my yeah, Australian oh listeners for that. So we know better. I uh, so I lasted there eight months, and I just I I just knew the the hurdles too big were so great. And then of course you know Don was off doing his thing. And I also had a hard time um, just with the the differences in training for me, too, in terms of I I could see why the field also had its challenges because of how training was and then how the medical system and the culture, it just it was all behind. And by the time I was over there, yes, now I was like 
buying beads and all this, and I was like stringing stuff. What and do you think that was that you had gone back to creativity like that? I, Stress. I, I think I think that some of it, and again for me, that and working out. Are meditative. So when I'm do when I'm yeah, doing stress. it, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> stress that that and you know sleeping. Which uh, I'm one of those where it's like, oh, maybe if I lay down and I wake up, everything will be better. Yeah. And of course, you know, we're now into the fact that we know my dad has this condition and all of that. And so, uh, yes, I came back to Colorado, and that also was that transition of what we talked about then where it's like, okay, I finally now hit kind of the, the dead end road where I've gone as far up the ladder as I can. And it's in terms of like pursuing this, you know, this track. And I knew that the medical center was the right fit for me in terms of my training, my interests, the things I love doing, the work I love doing, but that ultimately being in those settings is not my personality. I'm, you know, I'm very independent. I, I have no tolerance for a lot of the abusive hierarchical stuff that goes on and the competitiveness. You know, I'm someone who's competitive with myself, but I don't, you know, I'm not into that with other people. You didn't people. like the political crap yeah. that went along with yeah. it. Yeah, and so... And every job you've had, kind of, you see that yeah. at every turn. Yep, yeah. so so I knew I was not going to go back in the medical center, and yet doing private practice, I didn't have any interest in because I love the big scale and the diversity. And so I knew I was coming back after having now how many years of education and these all these moves, you know, and these traumatic things to, you know, okay, you know, what am I, you know, who am I, what am I going to do? And then of course, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, well-intended, uh, you know, who will say, tell you, you what you should do. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that, oh no, you need to keep on this yeah, track. Yeah. This is a safe thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. For yeah. You, you know, and, just, And, um, and, but never my parents, which was great. They, they were never like, what what are you, what are you doing? Um, and, uh, and I was also at that point at a different phase than a lot of my friends because I, you know, I didn't get married. I didn't move in with someone. I didn't have kids. And at that point, a lot of my friends were married and they had young kids, which I never, you know, fortunately my parents have never been the person, the people that were also like, well, when are you going to give us grandkids and right. why haven't you got never, ever, ever, uh, which has, which has been great. So, um, but yeah, so I was coming back to Denver with all this education that I now wasn't going to do anything with. And why and, Denver, by the way, was it because your dad was ill or did it was home or well, you didn't you want know, to try someplace else well, and you just know, say, let me try a fresh start somewhere? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So my parents were still in Santa Fe, so they weren't there, but actually I owned a place in Denver. And so, so it's like, yeah, so yeah. I had a home Made and the sense. thing, yeah, and Denver's great, of course. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, Denver, uh, is very health oriented. And so, That's beautiful. Which, yeah, which is a big, huge thing for me. Yeah. So you knew what you wanted Yeah. and you said, I'm going to go back here. Yeah. And I went back and it was a, a really challenging couple of years of, you know, not beating myself up around, you know, not using you know, my education or, you know, people being like, you know, and of course I was starting to, you know, kind of do some jewelry stuff. And it's like, oh, I went from being the director of a cancer center to stringing beads and, you know, people are going to rationalize this thing. And so that was a big component, really what other people thought about you. Huge, huge. I would say, yeah. And my own, you know, and I think you think some of that's the hierarchy of just, you know, all these people in Denver too. And you left as a clinical PhD and you come back as a beater? So, you know, I think, you know... <laughs> I mean, I understand this sure, completely. Sure, of course you do, do, yeah. And I think, you know, I think some of it, and it could be even, you know, just um, a stranger. And I think, too, it's also the fact that um, you've put so much time into something that, that you don't even you know... You an obligation yeah. to continue down that road. Yeah, and that, or that you also don't really just know who you are as an individual because who you've always been has been this academic path Dr. or Bush. this professional yeah. path. And it, so it's 
okay, at the end of the day, when I don't have some title, you know, even if it's, even if it's jeweler. And I think that, uh, that that's something that very few people know about themselves and that we don't promote that uh, very much is a lot of kind of this, you know, who am I just as a person? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we all share far more in common than we do in differences. And if we could all start to realize that as a society, we wouldn't have so much craziness and dissension and division and, right, and, and, you know, treatment. exactly. And, you know, labeling or identifying ourselves in certain different ways, right. because, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, you know, if we, if we want to all like get along, we all need to let go of whatever label or title yeah. or group we put Ego. ourselves in. Yeah. And so, you know, even if, and I think you're always fighting against that as much as you can get to a place of, you know, comfort with who you are, it's so much a part of our culture that it's always swimming around you a bit. So how long did it take you to get to that comfort oh, level? Oh, gosh. <laughs> For a while. I'd say, you Five know, it, it could be. And I would say, you know, even, you know, even to this day, even though when I look back, it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I haven't been... I mean, I keep my license active, but I haven't been actively practicing as a psychologist since 2004, which it, I can't believe that. But yet yeah. I'll still share with people about that background. And it's, you know, and it's definitely a piece of who I am. And it leads to a lot of interesting conversations because I have doctor on my on my jewelry card uh, for, as we talked about the other night, for two reasons. One is it is a part of who I am. So you earned it for one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think... There, you know, there tends to be with certain people, certainly not so much, you know, being in a wonderful gallery like yours where people are coming in and they appreciate art and they understand what it takes. Uh, and yet there's also that subset of people that are like, oh, you know, we're not smart right. enough to do something else or they feel that they can kind of take advantage of you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, when yeah. You, when you came back from Australia mm -hmm. to Denver, did you immediately go into making jewelry? I mean, was it literally, okay, I'm going right down this path? Well, I, I actually had, you know, I actually um, strung a few necklaces even before I went. And then, you know, I bought some beads online in Australia. So when I came back, and and the Denver has uh, really kind of, and it's changed a little bit, but next to Tucson, it's also one of the big hubs for gem yeah. shows. Yeah, it's number two. Yeah. We're probably number one. It's yeah. number two for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know why. So, you know, so I went to some of those and bought, you know, bought some stuff. And so, yes, I was, but I wasn't. Do you know why jewelry versus going back to maybe printmaking? Since that was your first, and graphics, that was mm -hmm. your first. I think, um Probably some of it was it was accessible and, and the stones. And, you know, I also... And you like jewelry, maybe? Exactly. And yeah. I also have that whole... I mean, I'm someone who uh, really didn't grow up with religion, although my dad was raised very Catholic. And, but when I was very small, he got really turned off by the priests at his church, and he, that was it. He stopped going one day. And so I didn't grow up in a religious family. Um, and so I consider myself spiritual slash metaphysical. And so, you know, I think also for me... So that's why you like the stones. The stones and the properties yeah. of the stones. Yeah, and, that makes sense. And, and all of that. And so, so... It's deeper than just the... Exactly. Making it. It's yeah. also being touching and being a part of the... Exactly. The organicness of whatever Exactly. That is. And I would say, like. too, you know, my my strength of an artist, as an artist is really... Um, Working in the abstract, it's about proportion and color and shape and how to put things together. And much like the printmaking, it's a very labor-intensive, um, very focused process to get it right, you Everybody, know. Especially the way you work so finely. All, yeah. So many little fine yeah. stones that you do. Yeah. It just uh, kill me. I, would, I couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> as I say to people, the, you know, some people look at this and be like, oh, my God. God, that doesn't sit, look meditative to me at all. <laughs> Little stones. You know, it's. I like making puzzles. I love doing that. Yeah. But trying to design something where mm -hmm. I have to fit all the little pearls and mm -hmm. little teeny small pieces that you do methodically. Yeah. Yeah. How do you... It must translate in other things you do in life that mm -hmm. you're good at for yeah. task-oriented, intricate. What other things do you do that are 
you excel uh, at? Crossword puzzles? I don't know. I mean, what is <laughs> something there, right? <laughs> well, you I mean I would say, uh, uh, you know, my my you know my house. I uh, that'll be it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I had the. It'll uh, be perfect then. Yeah. And clean. Yeah. And okay. you know, well, don't and come I, to mind then uh, for sure. No, and I think yeah. doing you'll just the tor- you'll torture yourself. <laughs> like being involved in kind of that artistic process of that, and and again. Um, my, uh, you know, one of the things that when I was in my, the, you know, medical profession that, you know, like I said, especially, uh, my professor Don, who was very prolif- prolific as a researcher, I mean, he said, you know, you're in the top 1% of students I've ever worked with and, and really my create, my creative mind and, it, and how that translated into, research and and doing design studies and looking you know looking at a situation being able to detail oriented exactly and and bring in a very creative different perspective so uh and then uh, you know um you know other things like uh you know how i how i place things or the colors of things that i choose uh i would say that you know, kind of that, that detailedness comes in for me too. It's like looking at, you know, just, you know, how I'm going to place, how I'm going to place something. And I would say I'm, uh, it was probably one of the things that I really, uh, was, you know, in terms of translating into working with people from a mental health perspective, you know, I've got a, a really phenomenal memory for like listening and, you know, pulling up information. And, and so I would say that kind of very, detail-oriented, task-oriented falls into that. And then just managing a variety of things. You know, I the, these last handful of years, uh, and I've been really lucky that I've been able to, um, you know, have the time to do it, has been really kind of taking on the parent role with, you yeah. know, my my dad when he was here and now my mom. And, yeah, and you're and, an only child, yeah. so you get, you yeah. get that one whether you want it yeah. or not. Yeah, exactly. So And so... Yeah. Everyone always asks me, and I'll ask you because yes. you fall in this category. Okay. Ex clinical. Yes. Medicine. Do you miss? Do you miss it at all? I know my answer. But no, I, I mean, not you know, not really. Yeah, that's my uh, answer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think too. This people this, don't understand no. that, but when you switch gears like that and yeah. you're doing creativity, yes, uh, it really opens mm-hmm. some doors. Sure. Well, I think part a lot of it is is. Is, is really back to more of a sad reason and what drove me out of it is just like, you know, it's, you know, the bureaucracy and the politics of the settings and, uh, you know, and some of the, you know, how tenure can factor into some of that in those settings and then, you know, the publisher parish pressures and, and you know, and I think some of the personalities that, you know, can stay there because they have, you know, they're part of that insanity and, and I think it's really, you know, it's, a, you know, a sad thing that, uh, you know, and I think medicine is continuing to go in that direction where it's losing yeah. a lot of yeah, it's wonderful. Get worse, I think. Yeah, exactly. I a lot of. I don't see it getting better. No, no, and you know they're losing a lot of people not for the right reasons. So uh, and so I feel you know incredibly blessed that uh, I'm able to do my art that uh, people really appreciate it and uh, that. Um, you know, I can also earn money doing it. Yeah. And, uh, Another fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and you've been doing this now 14 years full time, basically. Uh, let's see. No, well, I would say about actually, well, about 10. About mm. 10. I would say when I really kind of formally acknowledge that, okay, yeah, I'm a okay. jeweler and everything, which is really the very end of 08, when I really launched my website and I said, okay, now I'm going to... I'm going to put it on your IRS form what, there we for go. what you do if you it, don't put clinical yeah, psychologist exactly. and you put jeweler. Exactly. And, you know, and taking those next steps. And I think also, you know, it was that stage two where, you know, really almost all my clients were strangers that didn't have an investment in, are we going to buy something or are we like it? You know, it's so... All of a sudden now when someone that you don't know who really doesn't, you know, and this isn't, you know, it's just a factual thing. It does, they're, they're not invested and they don't have to be in making you feel better or this or that, that, you know, really love the work. And, um, and I think too, you know, I, unlike, a lo- I, I would say unlike probably the majority of jewelers and their focus is 
I see myself as an artist who happens to use gemstones as mm-hmm. a sculptural medium where, you know, I've always defined my business that way. And, you know, I'm so blessed to be able to be in a wonderful gallery like yours because people come in and it's, you know, it's also a mindset and a person yeah, that... that's how I see that as jewelry. Your jewelry it, is art. Exactly. Yeah, that's and, how I saw it from day one. Yeah. first saw it. And so, you know, so it's, um, that's a really wonderful experience for me. And, uh, and that's, I think, also where I come from, too. It's, you know, I don't sit there and say, okay, what's, what's the trend? Is it, is it dangle? Is it post? Is it no. blue? Is it, I just buy what I think is beautiful. And because nearly everything is one of a kind, I don't have to limit myself. And I can, and I make what I think is lovely. And, um, and as you know, these last three collections I've done for the gallery, mm-hmm. uh, I've really kind of taken to, taken it to that next step and said, you know, what's, you know, what's the overall theme of, of this show? And, you know, and it's been tied to my own personal experiences. So, you know, the one that you currently have, which these are a part of, yeah, is uh, my travels in Spain and my interpretation of my experiences there. And, uh, you know, last year it was the winter desert. And, uh, you know, obviously Tucson's a perfect place to have a show about winter desert. And then the Hawaii one, because we all have that affinity with Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, you know, it's that's been kind of a new fun thing for me too. And it's, again, kind of stepping another layer into that, realm of, you know, this is, you know, this is art. And, uh, so. So how about those artists that are out there? This might, you could give them some advice. So you've Mm -hmm. gone through this circuitous, Mm -hmm. really amazing loop of learning and going from, you know, just from medicine to, to being an artist. Mm -hmm. But what do you think it was that was so important? You, You could tell me to about how to make that leap because mm-hmm. you did it took you a while to make that leap clearly yeah sure you know what was what that something you can tell mm-hmm. somebody who's out there who maybe is listening to this who goes mm-hmm. i want to do this but i'm afraid i'm you know mm-hmm. doing this job mm-hmm. that i'm not happy at yeah i so i i have probably a handful not just one particular thing um and, you know, I would say this ties into my philosophy around life as well, is that I, I think, uh, you, know, part, you know, part of it is, is anything that we become good at as individuals, I don't care what it is, or that we really have a passion for, number one, we find the time for, no matter how busy we are. And, mm. and it's about... And That's it, a good one, actually, yeah. I think. And it's about, because a lot of times we all say, and some of it is because it's it's not good to say, oh, I don't value exercise or I don't, you know. Right. But it's like, at the end of the day, the things that you make time for are the, are the things that really, really matter. It yeah. doesn't mean that these other things don't. So one is, is that, but the other thing too is, um, it, it's about really committing to it and recognizing that there's also things about it that, you know, maybe aren't fun or aren't enjoyable or it's going to take you longer to yep. to do that, uh, and so yeah, don't ever forget it's still yeah, still work. more than likely yeah. going to be a job. It yeah. might be a great job, maybe yeah. one you love, but yeah, it's like you know I go all and, jobs. Yeah. There's days that you go, oh, God. Yeah, and it's you know, and all the back end things, and and if there's you know, because at the end of the day, it's still a business. Yeah, and um, so you know, so if if you don't want to do your website, well, then you better hire someone, or you don't want to you know, do your inventorying or whatever it is, your photography. And I think, I think, um, a lot of times people, not just in art, they feel like they need to have everyone as their customer and sell to everyone. And Mm. what happens then is, is a lot of times you're not happy doing what you're doing because you're just trying to get everyone as a customer. And, um, and therefore also you're coming across as very unclear because, you know, maybe this line is here and the different price points. And for me, I've also been willing to kind of take that stand and, and recognize, you know, I'm going to make what I think is beautiful and that I'm proud of. And I also recognize that it shouldn't be inexpensive. I think that's the other challenge with artists. And, and a lot of times, you know, 
people think art should be inexpensive and they want you to give them a discount. And, and my whole thing is, you know, usually people, it's not that they don't love the jewelry. It's that they don't want to, you know, spend that kind of money. And it's like, yeah. And I'm, you know, my whole thing is, well, not everyone's my customer and that's fine. And so I think that's another thing, especially with art is knowing what's going to get you excited and finding your voice exactly and then and then really having you know the chutzpah to say you know what that's you know because again if someone really wants it they'll make it work and if not you know they can go down the street and they can buy you know whatever from whatever but it's you know it's not like okay so don't be afraid to lose a sale yeah find your voice Mm mm-hmm Follow your passion. Yes. Realize it's a job sometimes, regardless mm-hmm. if you think it's the greatest, it still could be tough. Yeah. And don't be afraid to, to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. right. And, and I love the thing where you say that if you make time for it at the end of the day, mm-hmm. after you've put the kids down, you worked and everything, mm-hmm. and you go into that mm-hmm. painting room and start mm-hmm. making or creating or yeah. whatever it is. That's saying something that in your mind is going, this is has merit to me as a, who I am as a person. Yeah, I know exactly. I wrote a chapter last night mm-hmm. on my book. I was exhausted. Yeah. And I go, I got to get a chapter done. Yeah. Do I have to get a chapter done? No. Uh-huh. No, I don't. I don't have yeah. any deadlines. I don't have anything. But I, yeah. for me, it was important to do, Yeah. you know, sure. for whatever. And I felt better, by the way, exactly. when I got it done. So exactly. yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of that, you know, too is, is then if, and then if you are committing to something, it's like, you know, you know, follow through, be professional. It's like, don't like, oh, you know, oh, I made one pair of earrings for the show, Mark, or. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> or, you know, something, Make something. Make deadlines, be yeah. on time. Exactly. There's Produce what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Because I think too, there's already whatever society's perception is about art or artists. And so, you know, you, you need to like, you know, demonstrate, well, you know, this is, you know, this is who I am and I'm taking it seriously. And, and like I said, because again, it's, it is a business and, you know, it's, you know, you're lucky if you can do something creative and wonderful like this, um, for work. And, uh, but it, it is, it's, you know, there's, there's lots of pieces to it and, uh, it's, you know, got to make it, uh, on that front burner. I know. I love it when an artist gets their work to me on yeah. time, as mm-hmm. promised. Oh, boy, it makes it a lot easier. And you know yeah. what? For the artists, what they don't, I think a lot of artists don't realize is that if mm-hmm. they don't do that, mm-hmm. they're only hurting themselves. Exactly. Because the gallerist truly wants to sell. Exactly. Um, but we need the material on time, as promised, um, so we can get it and show it and do what we need to do. Because there's another person behind you waiting in line to who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? Yeah. And if you don't do it enough times on time, huh. at some point, the gallerist is going to go. Mm. Sure. Well, well then it's a reflection on the gallery, too, where yeah. like all of a sudden yeah. a customer is like, well, you know, where is this? Yeah. Or why is this still <laughs> wet? <Yeah. laughs> I don't mind if it was wet, if it's still, if it's there on time for any of you uh, people who know me who do, love to do that. We love you. Uh, all right, uh, well, that's been it's been over an hour. Can you believe it? Time I flies. know yeah. we could we could chat all day. We could, but maybe we'll have a part two sometime. But the the rest of it, I'm not sure everybody would find as interesting <laughs> as this part. <laughs> so uh, Dana Bush, fantastic jeweler. Thank I have you. her material in Medicine Man Gallery at all times online. You can see it. That's know, right. Just thank you for coming down and oh, thank doing you. my podcast, Dana Bush. Thank, thank you. you. See, fantastic. Beautiful, just beautiful hands, beautiful art. She's, you know, Thank she's you. a class act and a clinical psychologist if you need something. There we go. You know, uh-huh. if I can't, you know. So if you don't take patients. Uh, yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, oh, oh. <laughs> No patients. Exactly. We're done. We're in the art world now. Thank exactly. You. All right. Very All good. right. Thank that. you.